Good morning and welcome to Vermont Viewpoint. This is your host, Brad Furlan, here in Waterbury, Vermont, WDEV. Uh, mild weather, St. Albans, no snow on the ground. Our sheep, we're not putting them out to pasture much, but a little bit. Um, there's not a lot to eat out there, but they like to go out and uh, do uh, get a little exercise. And we get to kind of watch them go out and see if... You know, anybody's lame or what their weight looks like and stuff like that. So, uh, it's, you know, it's kind of helpful to the farmer when it's not four feet of snow and, uh, trying to struggle to the barn and stuff. Uh, this morning I went out, I had gotten all ready to come and to the station and then the, uh, I forgot I hadn't put hay and water out for them, which is kind of crazy that I, hadn't thought of that so i go out and i i do that and then i look at my shirt and my pants and i'm all covered in hay and i look like i just fell off the turnip truck and uh in a way that's that's how my life rolls from time to time uh so we have a great show today we're uh we're going to be talking to Kristen dearborn who is uh a writer and uh the uh horror Jandra is is her her uh way of of writing and uh just amazing books that she's put out and uh and a lot of other things about her. She's a, a Maine native uh where there was another horror writer of some renown as well. And uh so I look forward to talking with Kristen in a minute or two. Uh, coming up at 10 o'clock is, uh, healthcare and rehabilitation services. They're in southern Vermont. Be talking with Ann Billadu and Kate Lamphere. And they are, they have a programs down there that are really proactive on the ground, boots on the ground, dealing with addiction and with mental health. And they're getting people right out, um, to, uh, crisis management kind of things. It's a great model, and we'll talk more about that at 10 o'clock. Uh, but now I want to welcome to the studio here in with me is Kristen Dearborn. Welcome. Good morning. Thanks, Brad. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, it's great to have you. We were connected by a, a fellow writer and um, a, a publisher kind of person, and uh, mm-hmm. I went and looked at um, your website, and then I couldn't sleep the whole night, and uh, uh, <laughs> all, all of these uh, books that you write. And uh, so you're from Maine, and you write um, horror fiction books. That is a fact. Yes. Yeah. So uh, let's let's. Uh, start from the very beginning, as they say, in uh, some of the movies. <laughs> sure. Uh, reading has always been something that's that's very important in my family. I grew up in a house with, with lots of bookcases, all stuffed full of books, between uh, child-appropriate books for me, picture books, things like that. And my, my parents enjoy... Horror, science fiction. There were also a fair number of, of Stephen King books in the in the house. And in the beginning, obviously my parents were reading to me, but but pretty quickly I started dictating to them stories uh, that I wanted to tell. And in the beginning, there were a lot of talking dogs, flying dogs, things like that. But as as I evolved. I was given an adult library card, 
wasn't allowed to watch R-rated movies, but the library, there was nothing off limits. And were you, when did you get the sense you were just sort of attracted to the, to the horror sort of world of this? I, I think Scooby-Doo played a role, but also the, the, Children's book by uh, James and Deborah Howe, Benicula. It's the story of a vampire rabbit, and the, the vampire rabbit is adopted by this family, and the dog and cat know what's up, and they're trying to save the family from this vampire rabbit that's draining the color out of all of the vegetables. It, it's actually quite a clever book. It's meta. There's a lot there for adult horror fans. But that really kind of flipped a switch for me. The the sequels are Holiday Inn and the Celery Stocks at Midnight. And through those books, I learned what puns are. I learned how to spell hors d'oeuvres and toupee. <laughs> I still can't spell yeah. hors d'oeuvres. <laughs> and pronounce them. Yeah. Uh, horse dovers, people say. Horse dovers. <laughs> yeah. So, how old were you then when you were starting to? Young. Yeah, and you were starting to pen these stories as well. Yeah. Yep. yep. So, are the are your parents sitting on the couch and are they excited or thinking about a th- therapy? No, I think they're excited. <laughs> yeah. Um, my my grandmother was a librarian for a lot of her career at the University of Maine. Um, we're we're a very literary bunch of folks. Yeah. So we're we're excited by that. Yeah. So um you know, on this show with, with writers and musicians, when I when I talk with them, we, we talk about the concept of the apple falling from the tree. Does it does it hit the ground low or does it roll away as fast as it can? But it sounds like your influences were really right there with you. Yeah, and my parents don't Right. Um, but they, but they certainly read and the entire family has a lot of respect for, for education, for literature, for things like that. I can remember my dad reading me The Last of the Mohicans when I was, I don't know what was going on in the book, but he was reading it out loud. Um, another, Big turning point event in my life was in 1993 when Jurassic Park was was made into a movie. My mom got it for my dad for Christmas, the book, and all three of us read the book. In 1993, I would have been 11. Um, so we all read the book and we all went to see the movie and, and my parents eventually divorced. But that's like the, the family event that sticks most in my head was was Jurassic Park. Yeah, so the that not knowing the fear is pending, sort of like Jaws too, right? Mm-hmm. That that where they kind of play with you a little bit and then they come after you. Absolutely. And that's what you do too, right? Yes. Uh-huh. Uh so that then you you know obviously you're in school. What were what was that world thinking about when they're reading things that you're producing at school are are people in helpful I consider myself extremely lucky I was in high school uh Columbine happened my junior year in high school so up until then I could write some pretty pretty sick stuff and they were like oh she's creative it wasn't that kind of black mark scary thing 
I also talk to a lot of genre authors who say that in their undergrad programs they weren't allowed to write genre fiction. I went to the University of Maine. I'm pretty sure there's something something in the contract at UMaine that you can't say boo to genre fiction, especially horror fiction, because Stephen <laughs> King is bankrolling pretty much the entire university. So I was encouraged to write about werewolves. I, I wrote about my uh, capstone for my undergrad was, was a story about witches. Um, and then uh, for my graduate degree, I went to Seton Hill University, not to be confused with Seton Hall, which is one of the only programs in the country that really looks at genre fiction with an academic eye. Mm. Amazing. So, I mean, you had the academics, but you also had the internal drive. Mm -hmm. So you put them together. Mm -hmm. um, where are the... Like what you said, witches, and you say, you know, these other things, do you, vampires, do you research, uh, the, the topic or? Uh, yes and no. I believe that a good writer is always reading. One of the first things that they suggested when, when I got to grad school was to devour everything in your genre that you can get your hands on. So I read, I read a lot. I watch a lot of movies. Um, most of it is kind of schlocky. That's not the worst thing. Um, I would rather read something that is fun than good, I think, uh, and hope that that sense of fun comes through in my work. Yep. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, so I don't sit down and say, I'm going to research vampires, but I will choose some vampire novels to read. Right. And do things, I mean, it doesn't have to be real, right? I mean, it's whatever you want it to oh, be. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, nothing, none of this is real. Yeah. And that's the, the magic of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, we are talking with Kristen Dearborn. She is an author, and uh, one of the descriptions is ghosties and ghoulies and long-legged beasties and things that go bump in the night. Um, that's a whole bunch of stuff. Mm -hmm. It's got a little Dr. Seuss feel to it, too. It's a Scottish proverb. Uh -huh. um, ghosties and ghoulies and long-leggedy beasties and things that go bump in the night. Good Lord, deliver me from them. Yeah. It's uh, old Scottish. And those are the ones who are sitting in the dark room scared, right? Yes. yes. <laughs> because you make them that way. Right. Right. <laughs> Which is a success. Yes. They're, they are now my ghosties and ghoulies and long-leggedy beasties. Right. Uh, we're talking this morning with Kristen Dearborn, an author from Maine, Vermonter now. And uh, she writes uh, horror novels, got several out. We're going to talk about that. Um, but let's, what's in the water up in Maine? You got, uh, it's, it's sort of renowned now, right? In, in a way, because of Stephen King and, and Kristen Dearborn. Ah, yes. Uh, uh, it's, it, he, he leaves some pretty big shoes to fill there. Um, but there are also lots of other fantastic horror writers in in New England. I'm a member of the New England Horror Writers Group and we've got folks like like Christopher Golden down in Massachusetts. We've got Jim Moore. He's very accomplished. Um, 
New England's got a lot of talent. It's that Puritan work ethic combined with long, long winter nights or something. Yeah. So um, when you get together as a do you get together physically? Oh, yes. And um, viewers, you can't see my guests, but uh, you know I. I have in my backpack, I have garlic and some spikes and stuff and all sorts of things in case it got dangerous in here. Mm -hmm. But you don't look dangerous to me. You kind of came in and, uh, when you get together, do you, do people dress up at all or is that? We, um, we're mostly on the, uh, writers conference kind of side of things. Last weekend in Boston was a conference called Boscone. That's a little bit more on the science fiction fantasy side of things, but Necronomicon in Rhode Island is sort of dedicated to H.P. Lovecraft's oeuvre. And then the Northeastern Writers Conference uh, that happens in the summer is, uh, oh, it's on its 43rd year, and that's one that I, I will... Make sure that I attend. Come, come, Hecker High Water. Yeah, that's a that's a high point of my year there. And do you find that you're like cousins getting together because you've got this kinship and you uh, just sit down and boom? Siblings getting together. It's uh, very strong friendships and the sense of community there. If if something happens to someone, the community rallies and supports them and can raise funds. It's uh, it's a really, really great group of people. And the joke is that we, we get all of the nasty stuff out on the page, so that frees us up to just be super, super sweet. Every, most everybody wears black. There's a lot of skull T-shirts. I'm, I'm wearing a skull T-shirt as we speak. Uh, it's black. But, uh, but aside from that, everybody's just real nice. So the writing is the cathartic part. You, you put, it, put it in a book, and then mm-hmm. you kind of... You can be a go dog go kind of person. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. all, all of those nasty feelings get uh, get glossed up with monsters and and fictitious places and names, and yeah. they get out of the system. So there, you know, people watch scary movies. They love scary movies. Mm-hmm. They read scary novels. They love scary novels, and yet it does have an impact. You know, people. If you watch a scary movie at night, it tends to affect your dreaming and mm-hmm. maybe nightmares and stuff. Where are you on that? Are you are you braver than the average? I'm not sure if I'd say braver than the average. I would say <clears throat> that I'm probably a little more desensitized than the average at this point because I've been... I, I, I consider myself a student of the genre and have been actively studying um, since... Jurassic Park in the 90s. Um, so I've, I've seen a lot. I've read a lot. It takes quite a bit to, to make an impact. At this point, um, I, I think of there as being two kinds of nightmares. There's like the the personal real-life nightmares that are not not those are not good. Those don't come from scary movies, though. Yeah. But the dreams from the scary movies, a lot of times I'll wake up and I'll be like, oh, what a fun idea. It's like it's like a horror movie <laughs> just for me in my head. Um, so I kind of like the ones with, I don't know, a few weeks ago I had a nightmare about like a chainsaw killer and I was like, ooh, that's fun. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... 
scary for the rest of us, but <laughs> fun for you. So dinosaurs roam the earth, right? They're real things. Jurassic Park um, brought us back to that period. Obviously, mm-hmm. we weren't there. Um, so, but vampires and, you know, other scary things are, 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 Maybe not real. Uh, I don't know. Maybe they are. Uh, it's part of the writing. Right. Um, so there's a difference there. Well, there's, I think there's, the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park are scary because they're a metaphor for scientific progress. The, the Malcolm quote of we were too busy thinking if we could that we didn't bother to think if we should. Yeah. That's the real horror in Jurassic Park. The dinosaurs are animals doing what animals do. Yeah. Um, vampires have stood in as metaphor for all sorts of things over the years. In the 80s, the vampires were often a metaphor for the AIDS crisis. Hmm. Um, there's a, I don't know if this has been updated, but at one point there was something that said that when Republicans are in office, uh, zombie fiction becomes more popular because there's more fear of brainless masses. When Democrats are in office, there's more fear of vampires because they worry about sucking all the resources and high taxes and pulling, pulling everything away. I, I, I read that. I cannot back that up with any science, but it's an interesting thing to think about and an interesting imagination jumping off point. It's very interesting, and I've never heard anything like that, so that's uh, helpful to us and our listeners. So that said, with with your writing, um, I've I've had uh, musicians, long-time musicians, who have written a lot of songs, right? And, And I asked them, you know, is there a social engagement for you? Are you part of, you know, sort of, is this a teaching thing in, in a social way? Um, one of the themes that I come back to again and again is violence against women, sexual assault. Um, in in some ways, I think that that's, that's almost scarier than just having someone be killed, because if you get murdered, you don't have to live with the memory of your murder, Whereas um, assault, ongoing domestic violence, you're you're continuing to to live that horror. Yeah. And I think uh, a lot of times in my stories, I place uh, real life violence against women against the backdrop of a imaginary made up monster, and kind of play out those two things with each other. Yeah, no, I love that. The I recently had a musician, same thing, who left a very abusive, you know, marriage and took her kids away. She talked about this on the air and, um, and then said, uh, really this amazing, um, sort of candid moment. She said, I wish my mom had done the same thing, you know, so it could be generational, but so you get to teach a little bit in your books. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And give guidance or just sort of display? I think I would say display. Yeah. Um, so bringing awareness to something. Yeah. 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 There's there's always this thing about th- that you're the only one experiencing something, but if you write about it, then everybody mm-hmm. can relate to it. So my novella, Woman in White, 
the the idea was born. I got to go on a tour of the Maine State Crime Lab, so that started the the idea percolating. But the the premise of the story is basically that men in this snowy, snowed in small Maine town start going missing, and it's up to the women to figure out what's going on. Did they care? They did care. <laughs> they did. They okay. did. I'm there, kidding. There were, some nice, there were some nice men in that town and yeah. some not so nice men in that town. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I also used um, the anglerfish was part of my thought process while I was writing that and how the female consumes the male. Yeah. Um so tell us what a novella is um, com- compared to your novels. Yeah, a novella is just a, a little novel. It's uh, usually 40,000, 50,000 words, where a full-length novel is probably 75,000 words. As I'm saying these things, I realize that that probably doesn't mean much to the the average person. So they're, they're just sh- – it's somewhere between a short story and a novel. Yeah. Develops a little bit more than a short story. Yep. Uh, does it connect by chapters, or can it be? Di- so it's going to be a single, a single piece. Yeah. It's just a. Yeah. It's just a little novel yeah. or a long short story. Yeah, and you um, were very nice to bring in a copy of a group of novellas. Is that yes, correct? Yeah. An anthology. In the cold, cold ground. Um, so I'm very excited to to look at that. And you're featured in this book, mm-hmm. and and you've done a, a number of novellas as well. Yes. Yeah. Um, do you have a preference for your what you like best? Novellas are. Um, oh, this is a terrible answer, but novellas are easier. They're shorter. Right. Um, yeah. You can. You can do them faster. They're easier to edit. A full-length novel is is quite an undertaking. Um, so yeah. I prefer the full-length novel, but I find that not every idea deserves a full-length novel. And the novella gives me enough space to say what I want to say and doesn't need to be overblown or over-trimmed. We are talking with uh, Kristen Dearborn, who's an author. Uh, your first book, uh, Trinity. Mm-hmm. I've heard um, some of the some of our mutual writer friends say that your your first book you write your whole life <laughs> was Trinity in your head for a long time, or uh, Trinity was my master's thesis, and it's an interesting book because. Because it came out of my master's program, there were a lot of fingers in that pie. Uh, I worked with a couple different fantastic mentors. I had lots of critique partners in it. Um, so it feels different than, than things that I have written since then. And, uh, it's currently out of print. I did have an offer to um, re-release it, but there were a couple things that I wasn't super happy with about it. And when I sat down to try to fix them, the the answers were not readily apparent, and I kind of hit my head against the wall for a while and decided that it can stay out of print for now. Yeah. I think you can find it on Amazon. Um Old, older copies that are floating around. Yeah. So were 
this was a uh, if this was a thesis, you were required. You you really had deadlines, right? Mm-hmm. Had to get it done. Mm-hmm. Was it was that helpful or annoying to have all these fingers in in what you were trying to create? I love a good deadline. Um, <clears throat> and it was helpful at the time to have all of that in there. But now when I go back and look at it, I can kind of feel all of the different influences. And it, I feel like it's it's more of a really good learning experience than it is a quality novel. Yeah, I get that. Uh, and what about, I mean... It's, it would seem to be that, I mean, with all due respect to academia, they're, they're not specifically editors, right? So yes. that creates a little bit of a disconnect. Yeah, and so the this Seton Hill program, I will sing at the top of my lungs about how fantastic it was. It introduced me to people in the horror writing community nationally. Um, I had amazing mentors who are, are renowned horror authors in their own right. Um, but it's it's interesting. It's a two-year program, and you've got one mentor for one year, one mentor for another year. Sometimes they bring different thoughts into the project, and it winds up changing and evolving because of those influences. And it looks like you went four years from then and then um, had uh – a second book out. Is that Stolen Away? Was that the next one? Stolen or? Away is my, my second full-length novel. Um, the, the timeline that you see on my website is a little, a little wonky because of small presses closing and titles being acquired by other small presses to keep them in print. Um, both Woman in White and Sacrifice Island came out between, came out originally between between Trinity and and Stolen Away. And those were, were you guided then by some sort of an editor help? No. Nope. 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 When, when you graduate, you're, you're on your own. Yeah. Um, and, and generally until you reach the, the stage in your career where you're represented by a literary agent, which, which I'm not. And if any are listening, I'd love to talk to you. Um, you, you're basically kind of kind of winging it, and at this point, I'm writing what I want when I want, and then trying to sell it. Yeah, and you mentioned you can have some sort of a dream during the night, and it becomes an inspiration for the writing. What well, what were the inspirations for these second and third books? Uh, Sacrifice Island. I was on vacation in the Philippines, and we did this really neat little chartered boat tour that took us around to these different islands. And there, it was a section of the Philippines, uh, Palawan, where it, there, there's not a lot of people there. It's it's fairly remote, so. Um, my, my friends and I were the only ones on this particular boat. We would run into other people at the islands, but it's not, it's not a crowded situation. And this one island, it looked like there had been some kind of a monastery or a church or something that was no longer in use. And there, there were rooms with bed frames piled in them. There were rooms with furniture piled in them. Looks like maybe there had been a few fires inside, but it was a lot of marble, 
marble buildings, some statuary in this gorgeous Philippines jungle, cerulean water, limestone cliffs, green jungle. So that, I mean, I was thinking the entire way back to our hotel and just started writing that night. It's really interesting because you've got this stage set background, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So you 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 take the stage set first and then start filling, is that right? That time I well, actually, you know, I've done that several times because the the amazing alligator girl, I was on an airboat ride in the Everglades and I was like, ooh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the Everglades are so scary now with the pythons and yeah. everything else. Yes. Um, I also, so we've we've discussed the fact that I am a, a born and bred New Englander. I was a zillionth generation Mainer, traced the lineage back to the Mayflower, all that good stuff. And yet whenever I go to Florida, something just like turbocharges in my brain. Stolen Away was was written in Florida, um, inspired by a Florida vacation. Amazing Alligator Girls, a Florida book, and my upcoming novel, um, Faith of Dawn, is a is a Florida book. The graphics on your novels look sort of 40-ish, 50-ish to me in some ways. What, what's behind that? Um, so sometimes I get to choose my artist. Um, generally, if I if I have my druthers, um, either Zach McCain or Lynn Hansen are my my two favorites to work with. Um, the Amazing Alligator Girl, which is absolutely a fortieth throwback, uh, that was uh, Don Noble did that cover, who also did In the Cold Cold Ground. So he's pretty cool. It it kind of. It draws. I, I love it, by yeah. the way. I, yeah. I, I'm just, I think you, it, it, it sort of draws you in, right? It, it did me anyway. I, I love the looks of it. Um, so you, what's the discipline f- for you, Kristen? You're, you know, there, there's a, a lot of us who, you know, want to write and, uh, but can't always get ink onto pen, onto paper. I don't think anyone can always get ink onto paper unless you're Mr. King, who apparently can. Um, I do my best early in the morning. So my, my preferred schedule is to wake up and immediately start writing. Like while I'm still in bed, um, mm. just grab the laptop and. Yeah. And write. I'm working on some short stories at the moment. I'm doing a, a short story workshop that's based around horror tropes, so it's fun to be, air quotes, forced to write some short stories. Um, also working on wrapping up another novel. The ending is being a little bit problematic, so that's making it not as much fun to write. So mm-hmm. I'm distracted by the shiny short stories but do need to get that novel fixed and um my friend brett stanchu who's a vermont writer and has written a, uh, a few books now her first her second book she turned into her um editor publisher a new hampshire firm and they said 
this is really great, but you got to rewrite it. Mm-hmm. Um, does that happen to you? Or are you? Well, I'm I'm working on a short story right now that I've got to revise and resubmit request for. So that's this week's project. Where I am generally writing, um, I generally will will finish a book before I try to sell it. Um, so a lot of times with that model, it's kind of a a more binary yes or no. We want it. We don't want it. Okay. Um, when I think folks evolve in their career, they can write based on pitches. So they can say, this one's going to be about vampires in the Andes who go skydiving and a ski instructor who has to stop them. And at the pitch stage, I think there's a lot more conversation about like, oh, we love that. What if she's a scuba diving instructor instead of a ski? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very interesting. When you get the the sort of guidance you've you've pretty much finished in your mind and you're going, Oh my, this is, this is like perfect and great. (laughs) And then somebody tells you it's not perfect and great. Mm -hmm. Is that helpful or, or what do you do with it? Um, I think it depends who's telling you that it's, uh, it's not perfect. Um, I have a, a new novel coming from Cemetery Dance, which is one of the larger horror small presses out there. That's coming out on the 15th this week. Very exciting. And we did a big push sending out advanced review copies. And there are certainly some some not-so-great reviews, which some of them make some good points, some of them do not make some good points. So I think where the feedback is coming from is is pretty important. Uh, and ultimately, the reader is, you know, I never take um, sort of recommendations too seriously when people are negative. I, I want to. I want to know for myself. Right, right. And I mean, I think you can tell if uh, the review says that they they didn't like the unlikable protagonist. Well, you're not necessarily supposed to. <laughs> <laughs> You've done your work. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we, where can people find your writing? I want to make sure we we get that out here. How, yeah. how can they find your books? Amazon is the path of least resistance. Um, going through the publisher, Cemetery Dance, for Faith of Dawn, the new one, pre-orders still open until the 15th. Um, In the Cold, Cold Ground is also a Cemetery Dance book, so you can find me there. I do have a website, www.kristendearborn.com. It's just my name, uh, and that should lead folks. That mostly tracks back to Amazon. Yeah. What about fear for you? Do you have fear? Oh, hypodermic needles. Hypodermic needles. Do you have a have a book on that? I, no, that's too scary. I don't <laughs> want to go there. Um, also, yellow jackets, which are like flying hypodermic needles, don't like those either. <laughs> but not much else. Maybe uh, like late stage capitalism. That's a little scary. Uh, also, don't have a book on that yet. Yeah. Uh, so. You write um, in your head all the time? Yes. Yep. Yeah. There, there's always something kind of cooking, simmering back there. And when there's not, I'm listening to, to books or stories on, on audio medium. So we both share the love of the mountain. Yes. And you are an accomplished uh, hiker, climber, all mm-hmm. of that. Um, what's – I mean – 
it's not a scary thing to do, but it's um, it's it can be isolated and challenging and stuff like that. But um, you're doing a lot of it, and you're doing some enormous peaks, right? Well, for New England, enormous peaks. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've I've hiked all of the New Hampshire four thousand footers, all forty eight of them. I'm four peaks away from all of the New England four thousand footers, and I'm five deep in the Adirondacks. So I'm I'm I've got a list, and I'm I'm crossing things off. Yeah, and you do this a lot with people and alone, or with a dog as well. And- yeah, whatever combination. Whoever I can get to go with me, and if I can't get somebody to go with me, I'll I'll go by myself. Um, if I want to get up at four in the morning and go, the the dog is into it. The humans are harder to convince. Um, my dog just had her second ACL surgery, so she is down for the count at the moment. Um, but conceivably, when that second knee is better, she'll be. Back with you. Better than ever before and ready to party. Nice. And uh, what are what's sort of the biggest challenge, or you've had some challenges. Is it just physically challenging some of these big peaks, right? That's an interesting question. Um, there are... I feel like there's different kinds of endurance and... I also have done a little bit of hiking out west. I did the Trans-Catalina Trail off the coast of Los Angeles, and that's a totally different terrain. And I just remember Silver Peak, it's it's 2,000 feet, which over here in New England, I'm like, I could eat that for lunch. Yeah. But I just remember finding the smallest patch of shade and just kind of like dying on the side of the trail because it's hot. There's very little humidity. Uh, the terrain's totally different. Plus, I'd been hiking for three straight days. So, different endurance games at different times. Yeah. And you said you're always writing. How, how do you keep track of what, you know, do you have to make notes in a notebook or what do you do? Um, the, the comedian. Mitch Hedberg has a funny joke that says uh, that he woke up in the middle of the night and thought of a joke, and he didn't want to get up and write it down, so he had to convince himself that it wasn't funny. Um, I I very rarely write things down. If I write things down, I feel like I kill it. Hmm. So I have to keep them in my head, and if they stay in my head, then they get written. Um but also sometimes things like like Sacrifice Island, um, Faith of Dawn is another one. Amazing Alligator Grill is another one. I got the idea and I needed to write that book. I, I started within hours of when I got the idea and just had to. I'm pantomiming keyboard. Um, <laughs> yeah, just had to go. And what's your favorite? Writing, can you can you tell listeners a little bit about one of your stories that you just love? So, I'm pretty partial to the Amazing Alligator Girl. Um, it's one of the more recent ones. It's uh, there's a 
an airboat ride in the Everglades with a cast of characters. Something happens to the alligators where they all get extremely aggressive. Can this boat full of people survive the night in the Everglades? Um, it was a lot of fun to write, and it. I, my hope is that it reads like like a particularly competent B-movie. Mm-hmm. And that, that was the goal. It, it's all about fun. It's all about how can these alligators tear people apart? The people start to tear the people apart. Um, and, and the main character brings this perspective of not wanting to harm the alligators because she loves alligators. Hmm. Wow. I like that. Um, so you've got, uh, the Amazing Alligator Girl, Sacrifice Island, Woman in White, Whispers, Stolen Away, Trinity, more to come. If we read every one of them, do we get to know you? Are, are you in there? Uh, uh, yes. Um, I I would – any author who answered no to that question, I would I would furrow my brows at them because I don't think that you can sit and, and create like this without – leaving pieces of yourself behind. Yeah. And are you, are you a hero? Oh, gosh. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Here's hoping. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a nice thing to, to be, right? We want we want heroes. Uh, so now that when I start reading these, I'll look and see where the hero part is and, yeah. <laughs> and try, try to. Uh, so talking with Kristen Dearborn, um, a lot of lot of books out uh the anthologies too you mentioned and mm-hmm. is, what what's quickly a, an anthology is that so an anthology is when a, an editor uh comes up with an idea like let's do new england horror stories let's do stories on the theme of abandonment let's do theme the theme of witches and then pulls pulls works from multiple different authors to so you get lots of different authors takes on those those topics okay so snakes ghosts graveyards alligators vampires what's your sort of evil nemesis character that you you favor the most hmm if, I usually if, uh, if favor is <laughs> I, I usually answer monsters, um, but it feels like you want me to be more specific in my monsters. Um, Something. What's scariest to you in your writing that you think scares people the most? Other people, not the monsters. I think the people are. My my hope is that in each of these books, the humans are scarier than the. The beasts. There's an editorial right there. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> Talking with Kristen Dearborn, she's got um, a lot of uh, horror books um, from Maine, Stephen King. Uh, we're going to see a lot of her books start to push him aside as she <laughs> develops her, her her writing. And uh, so do you do speaking engagements? We've got about mm-hmm. a minute more. Yep. Do you, you get yep. out and talk about I this? I do. Yeah, I love talking about this stuff. I love speaking on panels about horror. I love uh, talking about it. I could... I could talk till I'm blue in the face on the topic. Awesome. So if you want to hear more from Kristen, go to her website, contact her, 
Uh, you can find her, you know, uh, jo- she'll join you here in Vermont or wherever, maybe on top of a mountain. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I want to hear a scary story on the top of Elmore, but we can talk about that. That's great. <laughs> maybe Thank there is so a scary story on the top of Elmore. Uh, this is Vermont Viewpoint, Brad Furlan. Uh, coming up after uh, in the next segment is Healthcare and Rehabilitation Services. I'm going to be talking with Ann Billadu and Kate Lamphere. And they uh, they don't climb into uh, to telephone booths and put capes on, but they uh, they act the role. They're out there uh, helping people and saving lives, and uh, we'll be talking uh, with them over the next hour. And I look forward to that. Uh, Kristen, thank you so much uh, for being with me today. It was a joy to be here. Yeah, and so look for Kristen's books. You can go to Kristen Dearborn uh, to her website and. Uh, Be back right after this. Brad Furlan, Vermont Viewpoint, WDEV.